Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I'm Karen Skatsina, a pediatrician and the infant medical director of TIPQC. Today's discussion will focus on the new RSV long-acting monoclonal antibody product for newborns and infants, nercivimab. We are excited to have with us today Dr. Caitlin Newhouse. Dr. Newhouse is the medical director of the Vaccine Preventable Diseases and Immunization Program at the Tennessee Department of Health. She is also a pediatrician. She received her medical degree from Georgetown University School of Medicine. We featured Dr. Newhouse in November on podcast number 109 regarding maternal vaccinations and the new RSV vaccine for pregnant people. Today, we are pleased to have her discuss more about infant vaccinations, especially the new RSV vaccine. Again, welcome to our show, Dr. Newhouse. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to talking about infant vaccines today. Can you share a little more about your career and what sparked your interest in medicine and your interests in vaccines? Yes. I went into medicine originally because of the belief that without our health, many other parts of life really aren't possible. So that prevention of disease and sort of setting people up for a healthy life was always really important to me. And that kind of was what led me into pediatrics to begin with. And I had an interest in working with individuals who don't have access to care through traditional means. So people who are uninsured and underinsured, that all of those interests kind of led me to what I'm doing right now, which is as the immunization program medical director, I sit over the vaccine for children program, which has been this sort of perfect culmination of these interests and motivations because the vaccines for children program allows us to ensure that all kids in Tennessee have access to vaccines that are going to keep them healthy for the rest of their lives, regardless of their ability to pay. And so it kind of gets lets me have a little bit of my prevention, setting kids up for a healthy life that's free from infections with vaccine-preventable diseases, and really making sure that that healthcare delivery happens for everyone across the state of Tennessee equally, whether they have insurance or they don't. So that's kind of what brought me to this very like niche spot in my career, which has been incredibly gratifying. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And we certainly are fortunate to have you here in Tennessee. Tell us about nercivimab. This is such an exciting development. This is, nercevimab is fantastic. It was great timing this year. We had a lot of great developments in the RSV world for 
the vac with the vaccine that came out for pregnant people, and then also with nirsevimab kind of rolling out the same season. It was exciting timing for me personally, since I was pregnant this fall and just had a baby. And so having tools at our disposal to help prevent RSV in this population of infants was even particularly uh, relevant for me on a personal level as well. So nirsevimab is really interesting because it's not technically a vaccine. So we talk a lot about vaccines versus immunizations when we think about nirsevimab. It is uh, technically an immunization rather than a vaccine, which means that it gives us passive protection against the infection. So rather than stimulating our bodies to create antibodies like a traditional vaccine does, it directly provides those antibodies. So it is itself an injectable long acting and it's a monoclonal antibody, which means that it's just against one sort of strain or one virus. And it is given to an infant in, we'll talk about the timing later, but at, in the early months of their life. And then those antibodies that we directly give to the baby circulate in the bloodstream and they can recognize and attach to an RSV virus if they end up getting infected with RSV. And that helps the baby get rid of the virus before they get really sick, which is really, really exciting. One of the neat things about nirsevimab, so we have other monoclonal antibodies against RSV that have been sort of in the back pocket of pediatricians for a long time. But one of the neat things about nirsevimab is that it has this extended half-life. So it's just a once per season dosing. So the typical half-life of monoclonal antibodies is about 21 days, but in nirsevimab, it's actually extended about three to four times. So it's dosed once per season and actually lasts about 150 days was shown in the trials, which is really cool. And the last thing I just wanted to mention as sort of an overview about nirsevimab is that there are a couple of formulations available. So there's a 50 milligram formulation and a 100 milligram formulation. And this is relevant because nirsevimab is given, is dosed based on weight. It's the same price for the 50 milligram versus the 100 milligram formulations. And it's sort of intended for two different populations. So we'll talk about the indications a little bit later. But one thing to note about those formulations is that they're not interchangeable. So you can't give a 50 milligram dose to someone, or you shouldn't give a 50 milligram dose to someone who needs a 100 milligram dose. And you actually can't even give two 50 milligram doses for someone who needs a 100 milligram dose. So that's right now not recommended to be given. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of those important details. But first off, congratulations to you on your new little one. I've had several colleagues actually deliver their babies during this RSV season. And similarly, they've been really excited about these new opportunities to prevent RSV. So, but congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And secondly, thank you so much for clarifying. RSV is not really a, a typical vaccine, although you'll you might hear it referred to as the RSV vaccine. But from here forth, I will say RSV immunization. So I appreciate you kind of clarifying those details. And then next, let's dive right in, in terms of the indications. What are the current recommendations for who should receive the nirsevimab immunization? All infants in their first RSV season and high-risk infants in their second RSV season should receive one dose of the RSV monoclonal antibody. So 
That's kind of the general recommendation. If we want to get more specific, CDC's ACIP and the American Academy of Pediatrics recommend nirsevimab for all infants less than eight months of age who are born during or entering their first RSV season. So that kind of gives us our first tier of infants who are eligible for nirsevimab, and that is all healthy infants. Every infant, healthy or not healthy, who's born during the year should get nirsevimab when they are in their first RSV season. So babies who are, just to kind of repeat this, give this like a couple different ways, Babies who are born, let's say, in August are born before their first RSV season. We typically think of RSV season in the contiguous United States as being October to March. And so babies who are born in that April to September time are born before RSV season. And any babies who are born during those won't get get nirsevimab at birth, but should get it as soon as possible during their first RSV season. So they're going to be less than eight months of age because they were born April and beyond. And they should get it at ideally a well-child visit that happens in October or November of that first RSV season. Although they don't have to wait for a well-child visit, obviously, if they want to come in and get that vaccine, the immunization sooner, that's really wonderful because then they can get that protection as soon as possible. So that's the first category, all infants, including healthy term infants. And that's one of the, I think, really exciting things about nirsevimab is that it gives us that protection for those healthy term infants who are also at high risk for bad consequences from RSV disease. And then we have a second category of kids, children aged 8 to 19 months and infants who are at increased risk of severe RSV disease can also get this immunization during their second RSV season. Now, those kids include kids with chronic lung disease of prematurity, so who generally require medical support at some time during those that six-month period before the start of their second RSV season. They're at really high risk of bad consequences from an RSV infection even during their second RSV season, so it's important to give them some extra protection children and infants with severe immunocompromise for some reason, kiddos with cystic fibrosis, especially those who have manifestations of severe lung disease. So those might be kids who have had previous hospitalizations for pulmonary exacerbations in that first year of life, or if they have abnormalities on their chest imaging that persist even while they're stable and not having an active exacerbation, or if their weight for length is less than 10th percentile, they're at especially high risk for severe consequences from a, an RSV disease. And so they should get the immunization during their second RSV season. And then the last category is not necessarily a medical indication, but this group of kids is also at high risk for severe RSV disease, which is American Indian and Alaska Native children. And so that population should also be given nirsevimab during their second RSV season. The RSV immunization nirsevimab is dosed by weight. So kiddos who are less than five kilos at the time of their immunization should get that 50 milligram dose. And anyone who's over five kilos should get a hundred milligram dose. That's going to be most of the kids in their second RSV season are going to get that hundred milligram dose. Perfect. Well, it is so exciting to have this preventive measure available for, like you said, all 
healthy term infants are eligible. Plus, it's additional new protection for infants who are in those high-risk categories. One of my own children developed RSV infection when they were a newborn. And my husband and I took turns staying up all night watching her breathe because it was affecting her breathing. She didn't end up needing hospitalization, but we know that even healthy term infants may need to be hospitalized with RSV infection. So this is a, a wonderful new tool in our toolbox. So let's talk next about benefits of this new monoclonal antibody, nirsivimab. What are the benefits and how long do they last? The benefits are huge. So this RSV immunization, nirsevimab, was shown to be effective at preventing our severe RSV disease. So that is disease requiring medical attention, hospitalization, and even ICU admission for at least five months. So the trials only studied these outcomes until about 150 days. And after that time, we do expect the antibodies to break down and disappear. But kids during that first season, which is usually less than about five months, that's when they're at highest risk for these severe outcomes. And it was shown to be fairly effective at preventing those worst outcomes, which is the needing to get any medical attention, hospitalization, ICU admission. So that's really quite exciting. That really is. How about flip side? Any side effects or concerns that we know of? Nothing too serious. The only contraindications for nirsevimab are for individuals who have had severe allergic reactions to a component of the vaccine and see the same sorts of side effects with nirsevimab as we do with any other injection. So pain at the site, redness, swelling, that kind of thing. But there have been no serious adverse events noted from nirsevimab, which is really quite reassuring, especially if it's something we're talking about giving to infants when they're fresh out of the womb. Absolutely. So let's talk about some special situations. So for instance, if an infant's mother has received RSV vaccine, should the infant receive nirsevimab? And how do you decide which option is best? This is a great question. And I think something that a lot of pediatricians especially are going to be asking because we do have the two options available for prevention of RSV in infants are starting this year. And so most infants whose mother received nirsevimab more than two weeks before they were delivered won't need nirsevimab this season. There are a few reasons why it might make sense for a baby to get nirsevimab, even if mom was vaccinated. Um, and I'm going to go through sort of three categories of reasons why those babies might want to get nirsevimab. The first one is conditions in the pregnant mother that meant that either mom didn't mount an appropriate antibody response or mom wasn't able to pass those antibodies to baby through the placenta. The second category is babies who might have lost maternal antibodies. So that, for example, is babies who underwent cardiopulmonary bypass or ECMO or extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. Those babies should get nirsevimab because even though their mom might have passed them the antibodies, 
they wouldn't have them anymore to protect them. And then the third category is infants with such a high risk for severe disease that they should get nirsevimab just because of the potential increased benefit. So just to kind of review that one more time, most infants, if mom got the vaccine more than two weeks before baby was born, the incremental benefit from getting both is not necessarily worth it. But there are a couple of categories for babies for whom that incremental benefit is worth it. And we just talked about those. Okay, that'll make sense. Sorry. And then also how to decide which option is best. Yes. You had asked that question. So the main thing to consider when debating whether a baby should have the protection from nirsevimab or mom should get the RSV vaccine before baby is born, I think the the first thing to consider is availability. So especially this season, while we've had some shortages in nirsevimab, checking to see what options are available to you or going to be available after baby is born, if your pediatrician expects to be able to be carrying nirsevimab or not, and whether or not it's covered by your insurance, that's going to be my first recommendation. Otherwise, if both options are available, it really comes down to patient or family preference. So it's important for families to have that conversation with both their obstetrician and their pediatrician before the baby is born. Hopefully, you're having a chance to sit down with your pediatrician and do a prenatal visit, and you can talk through which option might be better. There's a couple of benefits to each side. So with the maternal RSV vaccine, one of the benefits is that it provides immunity immediately after birth. So baby is born with those antibodies already in them. There's a possibility because it's a more traditional immuniz- or vaccine that those antibodies might be a little bit more resistant to viral mutation. That's kind of a theoretical benefit, but it's there. Maternal vaccine obviously avoids having to poke babies. So some moms might prefer to get the vaccine themselves rather than to have another injection for baby. And then there's some potential additional protection to mother when mom goes through RSV season. So I think that's something that can be considered. There's some of the drawbacks to the maternal vaccine are protection is reduced if there are fewer antibodies produced. So if mom, for some reason, doesn't mount a good vaccine response, or if there is not enough time to pass those antibodies to baby, so if the baby ends up being born early. But then there's also a lot of benefits to nirsevimab. So nirsevimab may have slightly higher efficacy than the maternal vaccine, which, you know, we want to arm our babies with the most efficacious protection that we can. And studies of antibody levels have actually shown that nirsevimab may actually wane more slowly than antibodies passed by mom. So the protection from nirsevimab might actually last a little bit longer. And then with nirsevimab, there's no risk of adverse pregnancy outcomes because obviously it's given after the baby is born. But the risks, obviously, you have to poke your baby and no mom likes to poke to have extra pokes for baby. So if that's something that's important to mom, that might, that's something to consider. And then really the availability this year, the maternal vaccine has been much easier, I think, for most people to get. And so especially as we're sort of going through the first couple of years of availability of these options, that might lean a person from one side to the other. Well, it's certainly helpful to have options and to understand all these details on the provider end so that we can have these important conversations and help 
parents and caregivers in in decision making. Let me ask you about another special situation. You mentioned that nirsevimab is given during the months where colds and flus are common. What happens if an infant has already had RSV during the current season? Should they still receive nirsevimab? This is a great question, especially because the recommendation for nirsevimab is different than for Synergis or palavizumab, which is the RSV antibody that we pediatricians are familiar with because we've been using for many years. So in general, nirsevimab recommendations are actually the same regardless of prior RSV infection or RSV-associated hospitalization. So if a baby has been diagnosed with RSV this season, they are still eligible to get nirsevimab during that same season. Now, this gets a little bit more complicated, I think, in healthcare settings with limited supplies of nirsevimab because it might make sense to defer giving nirsevimab to babies who have been diagnosed with RSV this season if you have a very limited supply because those babies probably have a little bit of protection and their risk for severe RSV in the future does go down a little bit with a second infection. And so the healthcare provider, the clinic, the hospital might want to consider that if they are currently experiencing a shortage of nirsevimab and needing to prioritize which patients to give the immunization. Luckily, some of the supply issues that were present in the fall and early winter have been alleviated. And so I'm hoping that most healthcare settings are not having to sort of make that difficult decision now. And so in that case, babies who have had RSV are still eligible. Yes, it's certainly been interesting with the supply issues and something we've been monitoring carefully throughout the season. You mentioned Synergis, that we've had that available to prevent RSV disease in high-risk infants for many years. That high-risk group includes premature infants. Could you talk through, and and you did touch on this one more time, for these high-risk patients, if both nirsevimab and Synergis are available, which should they receive? So for instance, preterm infants, babies less than 29 weeks, what else can you tell us about that decision-making? So the guidance on this question about which of the RSV antibodies should be used has changed a little bit over the last couple of months as we've kind of worked through shortage situations and supply issues. At the end of October, CDC released a health alert that recommended stopping giving nirsevimab in all patients who were eligible for Synergis because Patients who were eligible for Synergis could get, there was no shortage of Synergis, so they could get that, and then that would allow providers to give nirsevimab to patients who were not eligible. However, with supply increases that have happened since January, CDC's guidance has changed a little bit on that. And so now, if providers have adequate access to nirsevimab, it's actually probably going to be more convenient for your patients to give nirsevimab rather than palavizumab, in large part because of the dosing. So nirsevimab being dosed only once per season, 
is just a lot more convenient and that that protection is a lot longer lasting, which also decreases the cost, right? Because if you're having to come in for monthly antibody infusions versus a one-time injection, that's going to be a lot more convenient for a lot of reasons. So if both of them are available and not in a shortage situation, it's probably going to be preferable for those high-risk infants that are eligible for Synergis to actually give them nirsevimab. Okay, perfect. Well, I think bottom line, it's important for parents and caregivers to know that they want to have this conversation with their providers so they can be armed with all the information they need to make decisions for themselves and their babies. And that providers are certainly still looking to the health department and and monitoring the changing situation, but they are able to provide the information needed to parents and caregivers so that we can protect moms and babies. I'd like to talk next, because you alluded to some of the supply issues that we've had this first season with nirsevimab. I'd like to talk next about how to provide and obtain the vaccine. So, for instance, right now in Tennessee, during this RSV season, are newborns able to receive nirsevimab before they go home from the hospital after birth? In an ideal situation, my answer to that question is yes, absolutely. Nirsevimab should really ideally be given as soon as possible in an infant's life. So those babies who are born during RSV season, I think the ideal timing for the administration is actually going to be in the hospital prior to discharge. Now, I know many of our hospitals and nurseries, NICUs, had some trouble getting their hands under Sevimab, or for cost reasons and insurance reimbursement reasons, chose not to stock it in their nurseries, many babies were not able to get Nersevimab prior to hospital discharge. So I think that it's a little bit of a complicated question. So my answer is a little bit complicated as well. But I think in an ideal setting, yes, that's the timing that we would be giving nirsevimab to babies. You mentioned the Vaccines for Children program earlier. I wondered if you could talk a little more about this program and tell us, is nirsevimab available through Vaccines for Children, the VFC program? Absolutely. The Vaccines for Children program is a program here in the, it's actually across the U.S., but here in the state of Tennessee, it's run through the Tennessee Department of Health the Vaccine Preventable Diseases and Immunization Program. So that's that's a, the program that I work with. And the purpose of the Vaccines for Children program is to ensure that kids who are underinsured or uninsured have access, free access to vaccines without copay and without any cost to them. So that cost is not a barrier for kids being able to access life-saving vaccines. So many providers across the state of Tennessee who are Vaccines for Children program providers. And nirsevimab, thankfully, is available to them. All ACIP-recommended vaccines are available through the Vaccines for Children program. Now, I've kind of also alluded many times to the shortage that happened this year. So when the vaccine rolled out this fall, the demand was much higher than manufacturers anticipated, which ultimately is a good thing. But it meant that there are some delays in getting nirsevimab both on the private side, so to providers who purchase the vaccine 
directly from their manufacturers for their privately insured patients. And then there was also supply restrictions, limited supply within the vaccine for children program. Luckily, a large cache of vaccine was made available for the Vaccines for Children program or VFC in January. And so there is now vaccine available to be ordered through the VFC program here in Tennessee and across the country. So VFC providers may not be able to order, especially large providers may not be able to order as much nursevimab as they want to kind of stock up on it right now. But we do have plenty of vaccine available or immunization available to be ordered. So as providers work through their current supply, they should be able to order more through the VFC program. I can't make that guarantee on the private side. I know that there's the manufacturer is still working through some challenges and some delays. They're working through back orders on the private side. So private providers who are trying to stock vaccine or immunization for their privately insured patients might still be encountering delays. But we do right now have supply available on the VFC side. So if providers are wanting to supply vaccine or immunization for their patients who are on Medicaid, TenCare, or uninsured, and they are having some trouble purchasing vaccine for them, I would encourage them to come and join the VFC program, and we can get them free vaccines, including nursevimab. And that includes nurseries. So hospitals and nurseries that are interested in providing birth doses of hepatitis B and nursevimab can also join as just a birthing center. And they don't have to necessarily stock all of the vaccines that a pediatrician out in the community might want to stock. So I think that's probably going to be the best way to get a hold of, of immunization right now because we do have supply available. That's really helpful to understand. I know in our hospital, we've been working closely with our pediatric pharmacists to maintain our supplies. I wonder, it's helpful to join the VFC program if you aren't already part of it. Anything else that's important to know about how nursevimab can be ordered or any other suggestions you have for that? Other than joining VFC, I think, you know, if you're looking for private supply, becoming best friends with your local drug rep is helpful. Um, they Going through the manufacturer, talking with the, the Sanofi reps is going to be the best way for you to get vaccine if you're not getting it through the, the federal program. Unfortunately, I can't help much in that. No, that's that very side. helpful. That's <laughs> really helpful. You alluded earlier to some approaches for prioritizing distribution of nursivimab during this season shortages. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that. So say, for instance, a hospital's or clinic's supply of nursivimab is limited. How do you recommend that they prioritize patients? The guidance around this has changed, as we've discussed over time. So there were more detailed recommendations that were sent out by CDC in the fall. And with the increase in supply, they, we've sort of backed that up. So I'm not going to go through sort of all of the many complicated scenarios necessarily, but I think there's kind of a general overriding guidance that can be used that providers can kind of use to adapt to their situation, which is First, high-risk conditions should be prioritized. So kids who are at especially high risk for getting 
severe consequences with RSV infection. And those are the kids that we discussed earlier who are eligible for nirsevimab in their second season. And then I think prioritizing by age, because as our babies get older and their airways get bigger, the risk of severe complications from RSV infection decrease. So I'd say that the general principles is to first prioritize high-risk conditions and then to prioritize our youngest infants first. So as we went through RSV season, and RSV season is ending next month, so we're sort of like heading into the last, the home stretch, getting babies immunized as soon as they're born, because obviously a one-day-old infant is kind of going to be our highest risk healthy term infant, getting them immunized as quickly as possible is kind of going to be the approach that I would suggest. Okay, thank you. Well, before we wrap up and while we have you here, I wondered what other suggestions do you have as a pediatrician to help families in their decisions around vaccinations in general? The first thing that I always try to do with parents who maybe are vac- have questions about immunizations and vaccines or might be hesitant is to approach conversations without judgment. So asking questions and trying to really understand the family's concerns and where they might be getting their information is a helpful place to start. And then reassuring them that you're on the same side, that both of you are working to the sa- toward the same goal of keeping their baby safe. And the second thing that I like to think about when approaching families with any suggestions about immunizations or, or vaccines is really that it's been shown many, many times that a strong predictor of whether or not an individual gets a vaccine is whether or not their healthcare provider gives a strong recommendation for it. So I think one of the best things that we can do as a pediatrician is to tell our patients in very plain language that vaccines are important and that we strongly recommend that they get them. So not sort of giving a weak recommendation or not asking them, well, do you want to get your vaccines today? But giving them the confidence that we think that this is a really important thing for their baby and that we strongly recommend that they get these recommended vaccines. Thank you. And is there anything else we should know about preventing RSV disease that we've not already discussed today? In addition to vaccines, we do have other ways to prevent respiratory illness that I think are really important to remember throughout respiratory season. So the importance of hand washing, staying home when you're sick. And then when we have parents who have young babies, encouraging them to keep their youngest babies away from people who have symptoms of respiratory infections. And especially during respiratory season, when we can't necessarily control what other people are doing, trying to keep our babies away from the crowded indoor places where they're going to encounter a lot of unknown variables. That's great advice. There's many resources available from AAP and CDC on their websites regarding nirsevimab, as well as RSV prevention. Are there any that you would like to highlight for us? We will share these online for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I think that both AAP and ACIP have a lot of really great resources. So we can include some of those in the show notes. There's the AAP has put together some really great FAQs and CDC also has really helpful 
administration flowcharts and what to do with admi- uh, vaccine administration errors. And then the the official ACIP and AAP recommendations, I think, are also helpful to have sort of in your back pocket to review if you have a patient and you're trying to remember exactly if they fit into the categories of, of who should be receiving the immunization. You can also follow the Pregnant and Protected campaign on the CDC Foundation's Facebook, Instagram, and X pages. And we encourage you to share this information with your partners and networks. If you have any questions, please reach out to pregnantandprotected at cdcfoundation.org. Dr. Newhouse, thank you again so much for talking with me today and sharing all this really important and exciting information with our listeners. Thank you for having me. Always happy to chat vaccines. We'd love to have you back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee presented by TIPQC. TIPQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.